Matthew chapter 24. I know that some of you are growing weary with Matthew chapter 24 and about these end times. Well, let me say today that this will be the last teaching on Matthew 24 that I will give to you. And the next three weeks afterwards, I'm going to hit highlights in the book of Revelation to explain just a little bit about who people are, some of the leading characters of Revelation, and are they something in our future, or are they something in our past? And I will give to you some of the reasoning why as we begin that process, and then when we begin in the summer, in June, we'll be back to the book of Romans to finish up chapter 6 and move right through the book of Romans through the, the summer months with hopefully concluding Romans at the end of August so that we say that we have been through that book and have understood it well. So there is where we are going. As we begin to look at the scriptures, as you put your hand or finger on verse 36, and we'll come to it in just the moment. But I want you to understand something. Again, I heard this last week that the world is ending. This time, it wasn't by a religious person. It was by our politicians talking about climate change. And within 10 years, the world is going to die. You know, it's going to be there. They are claiming that and saying that. And I want you to understand they are not the first. In May 2000, in the issue of Reason Magazine, award-winning science correspondence, Ronald Bailey wrote an excellent article basically dealing with Earth Day and its beginning to provide some historical perspective on the 30th anniversary of Earth Day. That was 1970. Uh, that was when it was inaugurated. And he noticed that in the years following, scientists have given a torrent of apocalyptic predictions. Not religious leaders, not the scripture, scientists. And so I wanted to show you just a few of them today. It says, man, it says, this is, you can see, it says, man must stop pollution and conserve his resources, not merely to enhance existence, but to save the race from intolerable deterioration and possible extinction. Another one said this, most of the people who are going to die in the greatest cataclysmic uh, cataclysm in the history of man have already been born. Did y'all know that? He said this in 1969 in an essay entitled Eco-Catastrophe. And each, you can read it there for yourselves that starvation, hunger, famines, unbelievable proportions are going to happen and it's going to cause all of us to be extinct. Again, Peter Gunter, a North Texas State University professor, wrote in 1970, demographers agree almost unanimously on the following grim timetable. By 1975, widespread famine will begin in India. These will spread by 1990 to include all of India, Pakistan, China, Near East, Africa, by the year 2000 or conceivably sooner, South and Central America will exist under famine conditions. By the year 2000, 30 years from now, the entire world, with the exception of Western Europe, North America, and Australia, will be in famine. You also remember Y2K, some of you who've been around, that airplanes are going to fall out of the sky. 
everything else when the computer switched over. Those things were going to happen. In January of 1970, Life magazine reported, scientists have solid experimental and theoretical evidence to support the following predictions. In a decade, urban dwellers will have to wear gas masks to survive air pollution. By 1985, air pollution will have reduced the amount of sunlight reaching the earth by one half. And then ecologist Kenneth Watt told Time that at the present rate of nitrogen buildup, it's only a matter of time before light will be filtered out of the atmosphere and none of our land will be usable. Scientific predictions, not the religious world, saying the world is coming to end. But what about those in the religious world? We've got them too. Edgar Wisenot, 40 years, ends for the church age of Rosh Hashanah in 1988. The 40 years ends for Israel on Yom Kippur on September 21st, 1988. Then starts the 70th week of Daniel. God never stopped short of 40 years and God never reached a 41st day or year. Therefore, the rapture must occur after Israel's 40th birthday. Israel's 40th birthday, May 1948. So therefore, September 21st, 1988, we should not be here. Right? He wrote a book, 88 Reasons, while Jesus will come back in 1988. And then we have the famous Harold Camping. Harold has publicly predicted the end of the world as many as 12 times on his interpretation of biblical numerology. In 1992, published a book titled 1994, question mark, which he predicted the end of the world sometime around that year. And then it was May 21st, 2011. He said this was going to happen. This is 7,000 years after the biblical flood. Then it, when that went by, he changed it to October 21st, 2011. But that's not new either. Think about this. In 1831, William Miller preached that the end of the world as we know it would occur with the second coming of Jesus Christ in 1843. And as you read there, he attracted as many as 100,000 followers who believed they would be carried off to heaven and when the date arrived. In fact, you see one of his followers, Henry Emmons, wrote, I waited all Tuesday and dear Jesus did not come. And I lay prostrate for two days without any pain, sick, with disappointment. Folks, understand that people, when they hear things of this nature, know, really start believing people that the end of the world is coming. I was pastoring a church in Ohio, 1988, where several people in my congregation asked me, do I believe it was going to happen? I said, no, and they said, well, just in case, we're taking off work, and they did. They took off work for a week to be with their families in case the rapture happened. So what does this leave us to conclude? This is what we all need to understand. I will not predict the future. I will not predict the future, <laughs> right? Okay, this is what we need to know. We're just not going to do it. We don't need to do it because in verse 36 of Matthew, it says this in 24, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Now, folks, when you come to reading your Bible, we've been talking about different rules and methods of interpretation. 
We call that hermeneutics. And we talked about we have the analogy of faith. In other words, let Scripture interpret Scripture. And what are the themes along that way? Look at the time event indicators. Look at word studies. We see all that kind of thing. But one of the most helpful things that you can do to help you understand and move forward in studying the Scripture is to ask yourself questions when you read the Scripture. Ask questions when you read it. Ask the whys, the what, how, those things. So we're going to ask a question. Wait, if Jesus knew in 40 years that Jerusalem would fall, why doesn't he know the time and the hour of those events? So we have to conclude then, does Jesus have limited knowledge? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Well, the answer is yes and no. I stand by that with my feet firmly planted in midair. Okay, so this is the point I want you to understand. Jesus learned, Luke 2, 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus, as a man, learned. But doesn't he know everything? Yes. But why did he learn? Because he was a man. He learned. Here's John 16, 30. And it says, and we know that you know all things. This is the disciples saying, and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. So here it is. Jesus is learning and yet the disciples said, Jesus, you know all things. We have to discern that. We have to ask ourselves, what does that mean? Well, here's theology time, folks. Jesus has two natures, two natures in him, one divine, one human, united in one person. It's not two persons out there, two people being Jesus at the same time. It's one person that has two different natures. That's what we need to understand when it concerns Jesus. And this is what it means. Jesus was 30 when he began his ministry. He was 30. We understand that from Luke 3.23. That's his human nature. And why do we say that? Well, because in John 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So we have Jesus being eternally existent before the foundations of the world, but at the same time, he was 30 years old. We have to know and understand and balance that. Is there a solution to this thing? Well, of course there is. The solution is this. There were times when the divine nature communicated supernatural knowledge with Jesus' human nature. But the divine nature didn't communicate all things to the human nature of Jesus. So we need to understand this when he's talking about that, that he doesn't know the time and the hour, that he was speaking in his human nature. But he did know the time frame. He said, this generation will not pass away till all these things take place. So in verse 36, he answers the question. He's answering the questions and telling the disciples this is what's going to happen. He said, I don't even know the day and the hour. Speaking then from his human nature, God does, God knows, God the Father knows. And that's what he said. Now, he goes on and begins to start saying, talking about the days of Noah. But I want you to understand that. This scripture, this next section of scripture has been used to validate the whole teaching of a worldwide rapture where one will be left 
and one will be taken. So jump into your scriptures and look at it and see what it says. It says, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving, giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Now, can we know and have a clue to the interpretation of the passage? It's right there. As in the days of Noah. When will the Son of Man come? What's going to be like it was in the days of Noah? What were they doing in the days of Noah? They were eating. Pretty simple. They were eating. They were drinking. That's pretty simple. They were marrying in the days of Noah. They were giving their children away in marriage. It says also, though, they were unaware. They were absolutely unaware. Noah's just building this big boat over here on this land. And they were like, oh, that's crazy Noah. He's building a boat. We're just going to keep on doing what we're doing. And those were those things that were happening at that time. They were eating. They were drinking. They were marrying. But we know from Scripture as we look to see what was happening in the days of Noah, Second Peter tells us that we have ungodliness going on. It says there, if he did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly. So we know ungodliness was going on. Now, folks, let me stop just real quickly. People have surmised because there was ungodliness going on that they have written things that says this means that there was all sorts of debauchery, there was all sorts of homosexuality, there was all sorts of wantonness, there was all sorts of just terrible, evil things that were going on in this time and God had to punish it. Therefore, it's happening in our time and so God's going to have to punish it in that same kind of way. Folks, that is basically saying and speculating what the scriptures has to say. It just says there was ungodliness going on. Anyone who does not claim the Father as God then is walking in what? Ungodliness. We are even told from Psalm 1, do not sit in the counsel of the ungodly. And so therefore, anyone that is without God is ungodly. It doesn't necessarily mean that they were having all these terrible things that were happening, but they were, what was going on was the same thing. Godlessness, because they were living their lives without the knowledge of God. But another thing was going on in that time. It says the earth was filled with violence. Genesis 6, 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. What did that mean? Well, we had the story of Cain and Abel. What did Cain do with Abel? Violently killed his brother. So we understand those things were going on at that time, just like they're happening today. There was also disobedience. 1 Peter 3.20 says this, because they formerly didn't obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Now, 
if we are believing, if you're believing that these things that we've been talking about and preaching about in Matthew 24, that they have been fulfilled with the fall of Jerusalem, we need to ask these, this question. Were the, day, were the people of Jesus' days eating and drinking and marrying and given in marriage, and were they unaware, ungodly, violent, and disobedient? Were those same things happening in Jesus' day? Absolutely they were. Yes, they were. And they were particularly unaware. So let's ask another question. How could that be even though Jesus did signs and miracles among them? Well, we find it in scriptures. When we go to scriptures, we have to see and look and see what it says. John 6, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And then he goes on in John chapter 12. He tells us when Jesus had said these things, he departed, hid himself from them. And though he had done so many, many, done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And it says in Isaiah, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah the prophet was preaching the same thing over and over again about God's judgment, and then he cries out, no one, Lord, is listening. No one is believing when we tell them you're coming in judgment. So we see that and understand it. Even though Jesus was doing signs, he was doing miracles, he was doing wonders, people just would not believe. Now Luke gives us a clue as well. I want you to look at Luke chapter 19. It says, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. They will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And it goes on and says, And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Now, we understand these things were going on in the days of Jesus. But futurists will claim that these verses are evidence of a rapture still in our future. But are they? Well, in fact, these verses, we need to understand this. They inspired a Christian song by, uh, by Larry Norman in 1969. Those of you who were in church and were part of the movement, what we called the revival among the hippies, the hippie movement, the Jesus movement. For those of you who were there, I was there. We were there at South Main Baptist Church over in a thing called the South Main Activity Building, just built for our youth. And we'd get out our guitars and we would sing at this time. 
we would sing these words. Life was filled with guns and war and everyone got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. You know what was going on in 1969? It's called riots. Did y'all know riots were happening in 1969? Some of you young ones don't know. You see Antifa today. You see BLM today. You see these folks rioting and we think the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And yet in 1969, 1968, 1970, we were having riots. You know what is over? Vietnam War. Okay? And we all thought that God was about to come back. So Larry Norman pins a song. Life was filled with guns and war. And everyone got trampled on the floor. I wish we'd all been ready. Now this is kind of morbid. Children died. The days grew cold. A piece of bread would buy a bag of gold. I wish we'd all been ready. And then he sang. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. Y'all remember that? So we'd all get in like singing Kumbaya over there, singing it, and we'd all sing, hold hands, someone play the guitar, and we'd sing this song. And it says, a man asleep, a man and wife asleep in bed. She hears a noise. She turns her head. He's gone. I wish we'd all been ready. Two men walking up a hill. One disappears. One left standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come. And you've been left behind. Okay? Kind of uh, inspired also those writers of the series, Left Behind. I always wondered about this song. He's singing to people saying, there's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. If he's there singing to them, so is he. But then again, you know, what can we say? Now, the verses that we're looking at here and understand tie the judgment of Noah's day with the judgment of the Jews in Israel's day. Now, I want you to think long and hard with me. You have to ask questions when you're coming here so that you understand what is being said. In the days of Noah, who was taken away? Who was taken away? It was the unrighteous who were left. The righteous. Futurists flipped that on its head. One will be left, another gone. In other words, if the righteous are going to be raptured out of here, but in the days of Noah, it was the unrighteous that were swept away in judgment. And what did Jesus just say? Jesus says, as in the days of Noah, it's going to be with you when Jerusalem is surrounded by armies. When you are hemmed in, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be taken away either by death or you're going to be taken captive. That is what Jesus is referring to when it talks about Noah's day. The unrighteous were taken away. Now, if we look at a parallel passage in Luke 17, Jesus says, I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken, the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures were gathered. Now, Luke puts that in front of where Matthew places that. We read about that and we talked about that in a few sermons back. 
What is that word? Vultures. Well, it basically means eagles, and we've talked about it. What was the banner of the Roman army? As they came in Jerusalem, they're flying the banner, which was an eagle. And they came and they slaughtered and they took captive and they put their banners there in the temple. There in the Holy of Holies, they set it up, the abomination of desolation. Eagles flying everywhere. And so what Luke was trying to say, look, this is where it is. Where is this going to happen? It says where the corpse is. There's where the eagles will gather. The vultures will gather. This refers to the Jews being killed by the Romans. It's where the people were lying in dead in the streets. That's what he's telling them. This is where this is going to happen. They were taken, okay? They were taken just like the unrighteous were taken by the flood. And so therefore, when we look at this and we understand it in its whole and we look at it from the time event indicators, dear people of God, understand. Jesus has been talking from Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, all the way through this. Then he ends up that Olivet Discourse in chapter 25 talking about giving illustrations concerning what was going to take place in that day. We need to understand that taken away is basically not a rapture. It is a judgment. So we don't want to be singing that song too much, you know? I wish we'd all been ready because it's not a rapture verse. It's a judgment verse. Therefore, you do not want to be taken. You want to be left behind. Why do you want to be left behind? Because you are the righteous. And as you are the righteous, you're not being taken away in judgment because of your unbelief. You are not wanting to be taken away in this situation because if you believe this, to say, well, this is all future and it's all going to be a rapture, I'm going to challenge that next week. I'm going to want you to look, come and look. at. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I'll give you a precursor of what's going to happen. We're going to look at the verse that has been used universally by futurists that says this means the rapture. And I'm going to prove to you that it does not mean the rapture whatsoever. And we're going to talk about those kind of things to let you understand that Jesus Christ has already brought the kingdom. The kingdom is here. Jesus has told us the kingdom is here. The kingdom is now. And therefore, our commission is to go out and to share the kingdom so that more people will come into the kingdom until the final day when Jesus comes to deliver the kingdom and everybody within the kingdom to God the Father and sets up his kingdom here and now to continue where he will reign and that last, that last enemy that's going to be conquered is death. We're going to look at that and going to understand it. And I want you to know this, folks. I don't want you to be like one young man as I was talking about this to him. And I was telling him, I'm just, I'm just sorry. I don't believe that the scripture teaches this invisible rapture, this secret rapture. He said, if it doesn't, where's my hope? Where's my hope? 
Well, where was the hope of all those thousands before him, millions before him, that died and didn't experience the rapture? Where's the hope? Hope that we have is what Paul tells us. It says that the hope of glory is Jesus Christ. It's in us. The hope of the resurrection from the dead in 1 Corinthians is that we get to go to heaven. That's our hope, that we're going to go because Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And when I come again, I will take you with me to be with me. Folks, we're talking about going into heaven. We're not talking about a secret, invisible rapture. In fact, we're going to talk about that next week, that if it is a rapture, it is not secret and it is not, it, it is not invisible because the Bible says it comes with a shout and a trumpet, loud noises, not something secret not something invisible. So folks, let your hope be in Jesus Christ. Let your hope be the resurrection from the dead. Let your hope be that you're going to be dwelling with Jesus Christ when you die. You're going to be present with the Lord. There is your hope. Because if you hope, dear folk, oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord, AOC said we only have 11 more years left on this earth because of climate change. Oh, Lord, please come. Please come. Then you're stuck wishing that instead of building the kingdom. You're stuck bemoaning all the sins of the world instead of building the kingdom. Folks, I think I'd rather build the kingdom and have my hope in the resurrection of the dead, which means trusted Christ as my Savior, I'm going to go be with him when I die. And if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, so will you. So will you. Place your hope in that. In fact, we come to the table now celebrating that same thing. We're celebrating that Jesus Christ died, rose again, was buried and rose again for our salvation. And so we hope in that we rejoice in that. And as we take of this bread and of the cup, let us have that hope within us that if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, we are going to go be with him. We invite everyone that's here to enjoy, join us. That is, everyone here that knows assuredly that you are going to heaven when you die to partake of this. If you do not know that, then don't partake of this. But can you know that? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. The Bible tells us specifically that by grace we're saved through faith. We have to put our faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross for us so that we would be saved. We have to call upon the name of the Lord. We have to come to him in repentance and say, Lord Jesus, I cannot save myself. I need your righteousness. I trust you to be good on your promise that you will give me eternal life. That's what needs to take place. And that very thing can be done right where you're sitting. Right where you're sitting. We don't have to play pretty music. We don't have to have you stand. I don't have to sing. We don't have to sing 17 verses of just as I am to get you to move and cry out. You know, I have to cry out, please come, please come, please come. If the Spirit of God is dealing with you in your heart right now, 
that means you need to surrender to him. You need to open your, say, open your mind and your mouth to say, yes, Lord, I trust in you for my salvation. And God will work wonders in your life. You will be forgiven of your sins and you will have new life. It will be manifested in new life. So, Father, we come to this place and we thank you for this, this meal. We thank you that we can celebrate it and rejoice in the hope that we have in being in heaven one day with you. Thank you for sending your son to die for us unworthy sinners. And thank you, O oh Lord, thank you, O oh Lord, that your grace has been extended to us in Jesus' name.